Hey everybody, welcome to this Ocean Life Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Today's episode number 58 is brought to us by our really good friends at Shearwater Paddleboards, a family-owned company, handcrafts, prone paddleboards, and surfboards up here in rugged Northern California. My quiver is composed of those boards made by Mr. Nick Franco. We're rolling out a line of Grom open ocean paddle boards very soon. So if your Grom is ready to step up his game from the junior guard race boards and wants to get into something he can down or she can downwind, play around on in the open water, check them out. Shearwaterpaddleboards.com. Now today, if you like Molokai Tuahu racing stories, you're going to love this episode. We speak with Alice Hanley, a woman of South Florida who thrives on land and ocean endurance challenges. Now, Alice shares her stories of finding her passion for prone paddling, her evolution as a competitive racer, and describing her mindset to pull through the heavy mental challenges that endurance sports present. Now, she takes us through being seasick in the 2017 M2 race, where she relayed it, and then the incredible story of her 2018 solo crossing, where almost everything went wrong, except her will and ability to finish the race. Now, this may be the gnarliest Molokai Duwaho story I've heard so far. It's really pretty, pretty amazing. So we hear of the marine rescue scene in South Florida where Alice works. We hear of her well-rounded cross-training regiment and her upcoming major focus on the crossing for a cure paddle event where she plans to paddle 80 miles, 8-0, from Bimini, Bahamas, back to Florida with a partner to raise money for cystic fibrosis. This is happening in June of 2019. Now, there's a link here in the show notes if you're willing to um, pitch in a couple bucks to help uh, Alice and team raise funds to, to battle cystic fibrosis, please go ahead and do so. So, thanks for sharing Alice's ocean life with us. Stoked to have you here. Hope you get out in the water and enjoying the winter. And now, let's get into the ocean life of Alice Henley. Hey, Alice, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on uh, what has become one of my favorite podcasts. Ah, oh, geez, I'm so stoked to hear that and, and appreciate that. And I'm, I'm honored to have you uh, continue the, the great luck I have with having incredible people uh, share their stories. So thank you for taking your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So one of the things I really like um, looking at all your social media stuff is um, you have a cool like little bio tagline on Instagram. And it, it's cool because it lays out sort of all the, the major uh, activities that you're up to, you know, running, paddling, you do triathlons, ocean rescue lifeguard, you love the sun, this and that. But the thing I, I do like, too, is um, that I feel is going to come out as we talk a little bit more today is you have this thing in kind of quotes. I'm doing air quotes here that suffering is my sport. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> and looking at what you're up to, I, I, I can tell you're all about suffering on land with long distance running and then suffering in the water with long distance paddling and probably other things as well. <laughs> yeah, that generally has uh, become the theme. I don't think that I'm happy unless I'm somewhat unhappy, uncomfortable. <laughs> I should say uncomfortable, not unhappy. But, yep. uh, yeah, that's generally seems to be what the goal is for most of the <laughs> Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorite things too. Uh, the ability to kind of, or the opportunity, I'd say, to kind of break ourselves down physically, and then also, of course, always mentally, and then kind of uh, build yourself back up. You feel, uh, I don't know, better, stronger, yeah, I mean, more every, wise, whatever. 
Yeah, every cliche that you've ever heard where you're pretty much reborn afterwards or, you know, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, so let's start with um, paddling and the ocean side of, of the, this, the uh, discomfort and suffering you like to inflict upon yourself. We'll start with the ocean side of that. So, so let's start with, with um, prone paddling because that seems to be your main kind of the vehicle for endurance, you know, ocean sports. Um, so, and I know after looking at your profile and doing some digging that I think that's tied directly to your kind of entrance into the world of, of ocean rescue life-saving as well. So, so just talk about where you, if you will, um, start there, like when you first got into, you know, surf life-saving ocean rescue and how, and also prone paddling, when did that start? So I, uh, I ran, cross country and track in college like we said running was kind of my my first uh main love and um I was actually after I graduated I was all set to go into a master's program and I kind of just kept deferring <laughs> every semester my acceptance mm. because I wanted to spend some more time training and competing so I gave myself a year to get sponsored and you know if it went nowhere then fine I would just uh step back into the master's program um, but I kind of knew that I just wasn't super passionate about it and did not want to take on student loan debt. And I just, my heart wasn't in it. So yeah. I spent a year training, competing and traveling that I really enjoyed and it, it did go well, but as many athletes will tell you, it will not pay the bills, uh, unless you, you know <laughs> that top 1%, uh, and it, especially in certain sports, you're just like road racing. There's just, there's not a lot of money in it in general yeah. even if you are doing really well. Yep. So I, I, uh, I was a little bit more lost uh, with that because it almost would have been more clear cut if I had not had success, but I was successful mm -hmm. and I didn't do with it. Uh, so I actually, I kind of, um, I was always a beach bum, uh, but not really so much the ocean aspect. I, uh, the ocean was just for me to go pee, you know, while standing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. was, a little bit. Like, that was <laughs> That was the extent of it for me. Um, but I was I wanted to get into triathlon. Um, I kind of had the bike down already in the running, but the swimming, not so much. Um, and I was definitely overconfident. I thought I would, you know, get in the pool in a few weeks. I would I would have it. I was super fit. And uh, yeah. probably all the swimmers are laughing right now because they know that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's a completely different animal. Your fitness doesn't mean anything. The pool doesn't care about how much you run. Uh just doesn't work that yep, way yep. So in the process i um i met my boyfriend and he works ocean rescue and uh he had tried several times to kind of help me out uh with triathlon and uh it would we would scream and yell at each other it would go nowhere uh <laughs> i would get out and i you know i'd kind of give up for a little while and then i'd go back at it and i just but i was frustrated uh like career-wise as well so you know, he, that's when he finally was like, well, what about Ocean Rescue? And I kind of laughed because the thought of me going, like, out there was just preposterous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it took a long time. And then when I finally, like, broke myself down and, like, thought about it, uh, I was like, you know what? This this might be the right path. Um, I knew that I was mm. not going to impress anyone with my swimming abilities off the bat. So in the meantime, I went and got my EMT and uh, just kept working on it, working on it. I mean, it was like a full-time job. I would swim like three, four times a day. Um, oh, wow. Just because I knew I needed to. And uh, that's what it took. And just to be like comfortable in the open water setting, 
you know, there were so many times that I'd have an absolute complete meltdown and come in and be like, I can't do this. And uh, just, but okay, well, but well, you're going to and do it again, you know, an hour from now and four more times tomorrow, whatever it took, you know. Um, so I eventually got hired uh, at um, the beach that I'm at now. Uh, I think it was like a pity pass on my swim test, like a yeah. <laughs> 959.999. Like uh, all you had to do was swim 500 meters parallel to shore. You didn't have to go out at all. Yeah. And I think when I looked up, I was like at the end of the pier. Like I had curved out so far. Oh, geez. And I just assumed that I didn't pass and I was going to swim in. They came out on the jet ski. And I was fine. I just didn't, you know, swim very fast. And uh, they were like, do you want to ride? And I'm like, no, I'm good. They're like, well, you kind of need to take one in because we don't want to wait for you. To swim uh, everybody else is done. <laughs> yeah. So in the meantime, of all that process, um, I had actually someone had given me a stand up board for my birthday and I dabbled in that. And this was like before the boom of stand up. Yeah. Um, so I did it like recreationally. But it, these were before, like, the real race boards. You know, this thing that I had, like, took two people to carry. Yeah, big old. You could have a picnic tanker. on it. Yeah. Um, so it, I was just always frustrated because I could never go fast. Yeah. And the first time someone put me on a prone board, it was actually my boyfriend. He had a 14-foot Eaton. Actually, he still has it. And, uh, I like, I was in love with it immediately. I was like, this, I can Ooh. move this thing. Um, yeah. So right away, I was hooked. And then I kind of started dabbling with that uh, in Ocean Rescue. You know, obviously, we have the rescue boards. And uh, we have here in our region, we do, like, series races where each month is a different discipline. So starting – and it's to lead up to regionals and nationals. So starting in January, they have a paddle series. And uh, I did that the first year. And you kind of have to earn your way. So you start with, you know, the piece of crap rescue board that's held yeah. together with duct tape. You know, it's waterlogged and it weighs more than I do. And I couldn't even carry it. And, you know, I was not just last, but like the most lastest in every race. <laughs> as last and, as you can get. Yeah. And, you know, I really, I loved it though, because I kind of, I already knew that I was good at running and I like, and it had started to come with so much pressure and, you know, towing the line, I was racing for a team and I was expected to win and mm. the, the pressure was always on. And this was something where, you know, if I could be last, but not by like 30 minutes and next time maybe be 20 minutes behind everyone else, there was just room to go. You know, there was nowhere for me to go, but up really. Yeah. So, and then when I started coming in second to last, I was just beyond stoked. So, <laughs> so that's where it started with paddling. Got it. Got it. So yeah, no, that's interesting. Cause you've, you've been running for so long. Now, let me ask you this. So I was curious, you know, after running uh, so if you put distance running or just running maybe a mile and paddling a mile side by side um you know there's a lot of similarities but there's also a difference whereby with paddling you can get a little glide so with running you can't just stop your legs and kind of keep coasting right you're <laughs> it doesn't work but paddling you get the opportunity to paddle 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 stop glide even rest for five seconds or ten and so how did that aspect of the paddling, I mean, after having been a runner for so long, did you like that glide sensation, the ability to kind of keep going, even though you're not really moving your arms as much <laughs> as a rest yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's very different, like physiologically what it does. Um, yeah, running is very honest in that you don't ever get a break. There's no glide. There's no float. You don't get to put your head down and lay down. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there have also been so many times where I get out and I'm like, please, God, put me on dry land. Um, 
but I think the paddling aspect was so cool because when you get the right conditions and you're catching runners or catching a wave in, um, you do have that glide factor in effect. And it's not that you're not working. It's more that you're working the conditions in a way that you can't really do with running. So that's really cool appeal. Yeah. Got it. Now, how did, did, did paddling help with, as you mentioned, you you were challenged to kind of become strong swimming in the water um and i'm sure you have now you're doing triathlons and you just look like you're super strong but at that time you know you were challenged you worked really hard at it did prone did paddling kind of help with that i don't know maybe see the water differently or give you a different perspective or more confidence being in the water did yeah, those two I, things kind of go hand I, in hand? yeah i don't i don't even really know which came first it's kind of a chicken or the egg uh, yeah so- but you start being to able to really read the water. I think just being up on top of the board, you can probably see it better than you would if you were uh, swimming. But I think that it was actually after I've been paddling for a long time, you learn to swim better in uh, open water conditions where you can really feel it. And even though you're swimming, you might be able to catch a runner, so to yep. speak. Um, so you get yep. you just start getting a feel for the water. Yeah, gotcha. So then when was all this that you basically got – fully immersed in the in the in the ocean was this like 2012 ish what's the time frame so yeah i got hired uh initially with ocean rescue in 2012 um and i was just an on-call to begin with and then i i took a part-time spot so probably started getting into it more heavily around like 2013 um from then on and um i can't really remember when i first had heard about like molokai and those distance races but I think right off the bat, I just remember saying like, oh, I'm going to do that one day. Like that's uh, So, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. gotcha. There are only two mile races. Right. Um, so I just, I don't think it really was until I started doing some like double digit races that I was like, yeah, I want to do this, but I don't, I don't know how feasible it is. So, in <laughs> so, where you're at, there's a lot, a ton of water sports activities, and I know prone paddling is a big thing there. And I'd like to hear maybe in a little bit your perspective on the growth of of the sport. But, but early on, so you're already you're totally down with endurance stuff, running. You find paddling, you get excited about it. You're like, oh, these are two mile races they're short that's whatever you know 10 minute 20 minutes or something um maybe a little more um and so you started then looking for those longer distance races and so do you have those in your water what were some of the first sort of longer distance um prone paddle races you did and what was your kind of you know how, how did you find those you know when we first started doing them um so i'm trying to remember what the first uh like distance one i can't remember if the first uh distance i did was uh key west race or we have one in january usually uh that we actually just did it's a 10 miler um but i want to say the first one i did was um key west and it's in may and it's actually uh it's put on by lazy dog it's like a big primarily a stand-up paddleboard race um and i think yeah I think my boyfriend brought me to that one as well and let me use the 14 foot and it was just a east wind choppy day and it I really just had no concept of how long it would take me and what it would feel like I, I mean I had done plenty of marathons and stuff at that point so I was just thinking like okay is this going to take two hours or six hours or just <laughs> no clue so the 
the distance is about 12 and a half miles around the island. And I think I was so afraid that I was going to bonk and didn't know what I needed or what to do. So I, <laughs> I duct tape a bag of like jelly beans and candy and stuff to the, front oh. of the party. <laughs> and it immediately leaked and just like sticky, colorful uh. stuff. All down the board. Yeah, so um, it ended up being like quite the supper fest, especially with having the longer board in the side shop. I couldn't steer. Yeah. I wasn't efficient at being on my knees. I remember just cursing the entire way and getting out and being so tired but aggravated. And uh, we got the board strapped on the car. And I think it took me like a little under, like, I don't know, somewhere between three and a half and four hours. And I was so angry that I said, I'm going to run back to the hotel. <laughs> like, uh, no way. I don't know. And I was, I, I decided that day that I was going to do a half Ironman because I was like, well, if I can do this after three or four hours, like maybe I can do something else with this. Like I was just <laughs> aggravated. Yeah. Oh, I know. Sometimes it's funny. Like you just don't want to see your pat your paddleboard, you know, for whatever reason. And I get it. You you didn't know what to expect, and it was challenging. Your your candy melted, and it was just oozed, and you're just like, "What am I doing out here?" And so, <laughs> I totally get it. So you did that one, um, and then, and then what? So then you're like, "I oh, like I'm gonna also start doing triathlons," but you didn't hang up the the paddleboard. You kept at it. So then, how did you kind of begin to evolve your paddle game to get better and just more, you know, um, confident being out there at those longer distance races? So I'm, I'm super fortunate that one beach patrol that I work at now, that's my primary beach, uh, that's Dania beach ocean rescue. Uh, we have, I, well, I hesitate to say mandatory, but we have like group workouts every morning and I wouldn't, most people, the connotation of a mandatory group workout is like something that you kind of dread, yeah. but we put together fun little circuits every morning and we kind of just play to the conditions. You know, if we have surf, we incorporate that. We use all of our equipment. We have a bunch of 10, six boards, which is like the standard race board for lifeguards, uh, for competitions. We have surf skis, we have kayaks, we have a rowboat. We have all sorts of buoys we'll throw out for some. So it's usually some variation of like a run, swim, paddle circuit, which is by far my favorite format of work. Yeah, that's awesome. Fun. So in, you know, just years and day after day of doing that stuff, um, just started getting better. And uh, it's that stuff is all kind of, uh, I would say, like short distance oriented. It's geared towards what we do in competition, which is more or less, you know, like you're paddling maybe an 800 meter apex, you know, so you need to be, good yep. at that. you get one shot at it. Uh, your start matters, catching every little wave matters. Um, but we'll do it in a circuit format. So putting on the time there, uh, definitely helped me. And then I just tried to do every race that I could find every distance in between. And down here, it actually is, it's a little challenging Stand-up paddling really, really dominates. There's not mm -hmm. that many people outside of lifeguarding that are prone paddling. Right. And fewer that want to do distance races. Like the two-mile series that I mentioned, like that's considered distance to most of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> because we're doing like, you know, in competition, you you have that little 800-meter apex. So if you ask yeah. someone to paddle for 30 minutes, they're like, oh, oh, my God. And I'm like, well... You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And plus those 10, six boards, those things just are not meant for like 20, 30 minute paddles because they don't glide. They're just those sprint, go as hard as you can and turn around and come back in. You know, I get it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I was actually lucky in that, uh, the stand up community, I'd, I made a lot of friends and they're very welcoming and I 
would do races um, with them and, you know, maybe just try and beat a few of the stand-up boards or convince one or two prone paddlers to go with me. Um, but yeah, I, I just would sign up for whatever I could. Um, and at that point, I would say probably like the 12, 13, like 10 to 12 miles, you know, I saw that as like, that was my marathon, so to speak, uh, for yeah. paddling. Um, didn't really like think about any distance beyond that, like getting out after that, I was more than good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So no, it was a while of just doing that stuff. Right. No, that's cool. That's all good stuff. I mean, what's neat about that. And I'm learning like way later in life, <laughs> um, which is that, that the idea of cross training, I, I find that when, like you mentioned, you're running, you're swimming, you're paddling, you're surfing, you have skis, you're, I'm sure you're doing like, you know, push up steps, all that stuff. Um, it does nothing but good for you. I've noticed, I think two things. One is it makes you stronger. I think in any one particular discipline, but the fact that your body is just, I don't know, it's just looser. You have all these strange little muscles. If you only paddled, you only have those certain muscles, but the fact you do so many different things, I feel cause you know, there's a lot of legs involved in paddling. If you go to your knees a lot, you know, and you develop your legs legs because you're running or maybe because you're doing other things. I think that's one, I think that helps your core discipline, but also I've noticed in my forties now is that the cross training helps keep me just feeling better. I think it's also like a longevity thing, you know, um, where all we want to do is do more, extend our ability to do all this stuff in the water for as long as we can. And for me, I've noticed my body just feels better. I stay healthier. I'm less achy and sore and less prone to hurt when I'm doing all those, a lot of different things like what you're doing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I kind of had it like the water was a secondary for me to begin with, like coming from a running background. And it actually kind of helped me in the reverse way in that coming from running, uh, most runners are very, um, I guess I'd say hesitant to throw in the other stuff, like the flexibility and the strength training, like a lot yeah. of is easily neglected. And I remembered when I actually the best year I ever had running was the very first year I started ocean rescue mm. and people were like, what mm. are you doing? You know, what, what changed? And it was so much of getting like just these upper body muscles, like not an excessive amount and, but just like the swimming balanced me out in a way that before it was just like a day off from running or a day off from running meant like I'll run seven miles instead of 14, which is really not a yeah. break your body <laughs> by any means. Right. So to say instead I'm going to swim or paddle today, you would really start to see it because you can even see in other runners, you just see them fall apart. You see their upper back like crumble and yeah. you have this infrastructure in your body that wouldn't be there if you didn't do the other activities. Yeah, dead on, you know, and it was – and I can I mean, I have a lot of similarities in my background. I, my, I used to run and do all kinds of field sports and skateboarding, everything you can kind of think about. But when I got serious, and that's in like air quotes, and it's not really serious, but for me, it was paddling. Is all I did was paddle and surf, paddle and surf, paddle and surf. You know, and I'm like, well, this is what I need to do. And but then when I, you know, went to Molokai or. I, I do these other races. I talked to guys who actually were serious, like the Australians are a great example. They're doing all kinds. Of that's a different stuff. They're weight training, they're doing burpees and lunges and they're swimming. And I'm like, whoa. And now you can see why they're so freaking dominant and competitive because like you mentioned, all those little muscles, they all just kind of work together to make you better and stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's way cool. 
So let me, um, two things. Let's jump to Molokai in a second, but I'm cu really curious about the, um, the marine rescue aspect of what you do, where you do it. I know it's South Florida. Um, just talk about that. I mean, what do you guys see in terms of like uh, the rescues that need to be made, the conditions, and just talk about that, you know, that aspect for for a bit so we're uh we're year-round ocean rescue in south florida which is really cool because you can be a professional beach bum if you will yeah um, we definitely see like um this time of year we start to see like a big boost in like the populations down at the beach for like it's kind of pre-spring break season and it always coincides with when we have really strong onshore winds and man war jellyfish so basically you have perfect uh trifecta of the rip currents the crowds the uh people getting stung and just like coming to the beach getting wasted so <laughs> you have all that going on so um i think in our area in particular like you have just this kind of population we have a lot of tourists and you'll just see people that have never gotten in the ocean in their entire life probably don't know how to swim at all and for whatever reason don't have any hesitation or fear to go out uh yep. despite that and get into trouble really easily um so it definitely it keeps you on your toes and ocean rescue i think anyone who does it just wherever they work i you're you know probably worldwide will probably tell you you know it keeps you on your toes in that you could do nothing for six weeks or six months and then all of a sudden you could just get it handed to you nonstop, and you don't know you know kind of which direction even it's going to come from like uh so many of the places i guard there's a busy street behind us and you could be dealing with a traffic accident or just any kind of medical scenario. It's not just on the water. Um, we also, we have two jet skis in the, well, in really in both uh, beaches I work, but sometimes we're the first one there before the Coast Guard. Uh, we're by a major port. So there's a lot of incidences that go on there and we're the first responders to a lot of those uh, scenarios. Yeah, geez. So you're busy in all aspects. I mean, you're dealing with with um, jellyfish things. You're dealing with drunk people falling down on the sidewalk and car accidents, and then boat things, and then people getting sucked out. So your your head's on a 360 degree swivel all day long. It sounds like. Yeah, de uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> you just don't know what to expect, and I guess that's what I really like about it. There's no uh, ordinary day. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, that's cool. All right, so now. Um, let's keep back to the paddling topic. And so to kind of play it back, you know, you start to get uh, focused more on endurance paddling. You do some longer races, sort of that 10 to 12 mile range is kind of like the cap. I mean, there's not a lot of, um, longer distance courses, races than that. Honestly, I mean, that's typically what's considered a long distance race but then all of a sudden you hear of this thing molokai to oahu which is and you look at that number which is 32 which let's say that's three times the distance um yeah distance is one thing but also it's hawaii man it's different water and everything so how did you first make the decision to go to go do that molokai to oahu and when was that uh, so I kind of put it out there that it was something that I wanted to do. And I had started making uh, friends and connections in the uh, distance paddling world. And uh, one of my idols, and I'm sure you know, uh, Cynthia Aguilar. Yeah, um, sure. She um, was kind of a, a mentor to me in that field. And um, I had mentioned to her, you know, something I wanted to do. 
and it kind of came up sooner than I thought that um, the part, the relay partner she had had uh, was looking for a partner, uh, not last year, uh, the year before that, so I guess 2017, and would I be interested? And I jumped on it. I said, absolutely. Um, and I really had no clue, like, what the format was. In my head, I thought it was like, okay, I do 16 miles, and he does 16 miles. Um, I didn't know it was like a back and forth, like, we kind of didn't have a lot of communication uh, leading up to it in the summertime. So I was in my head, I was like, all right, well, I need to at least be able to paddle 16. If I can paddle 16 miles, I've at least done half of it. And then, you know, I didn't know that I was broken up, you know, more or less like 30 minutes on 30 minutes off. Um, but I, I was like over prepared for that, I guess you could say. Um, so that was my first jump into it. And then, Leading up to that, to kind of prepare, I started doing races. I got, um, I drove up and did the Carolina Cup. Mm. And I was, that was like my first, uh, I don't know, big girl race uh, where, you know, you're racing against like some of the Californians and um, some real legit people. Yep. Got it. And so your first, so you did, it was 2017 then you did M2O on a relay. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. And then how did that go for you? So you, how did you guys alternate? Was it like 10 minutes or 20 minutes each? I mean, you're thinking I jump into 16, he does 16 and we're good, but usually that's not how it, how it goes. How did you guys sort of split up your time in the water, each of you? Yeah. So I was completely unfamiliar with the format, but, um, the idea is to keep everything fast. So if you're doing 16 miles, you're probably not going to be doing your fastest splits. So more or less we start out with, um, I might have done a little more to start with. He let me start and finish, which was really special uh, because he had done it so many times. He kind of let me have the uh, the memorable pieces, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I did the start. Maybe I did like closer to 40 or 45 minutes. Uh, I can't really remember exactly. And then for the bulk of it in the middle, you're doing 30 minutes on, 30 minutes mm. off. And then maybe towards the end, you start shortening up to, down to 20 and then maybe even like 10 minute pieces. Um and that was the really uh, special part where I found out that I get very, very seasick. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was, um, I, I think that um, most people anticipate uh, being sick on the boat. I was very uh, lucky or unlucky, whatever you want to call it. I found out I get really sick on the board, uh, not the really? boat. So, yeah, I think the problem is that I'm actually mostly a knee paddler. And it was so, I was just so unused to the massive swell and the runs and uh, being on a different board i started laying down a lot and when i started laying down i really was in a world of trouble um i did bring dramamine but i think by the time i kind of realized what was going on it was way too late so it was um i think i might have said three words the entire time we were <laughs> and i think he thought that i was really like super focused um he told me afterwards he was like oh, i've never met anyone so serious and i was like i was trying really hard not to throw up like yeah <laughs> i didn't say oh. a word the entire time and then the second we turn into the bay i was like oh okay i'm good i just yep. like well did me in but um yeah so that was quite a learning experience yeah that's heavy i mean i give you a lot of props for sticking with that i mean being seasick absolutely sucks it makes the biggest strongest most badass person become just a feeble curled up in a ball like you know per, you know it's and i've been that way many times but you fought it i mean and still paddled carried through so i mean what were you so answer me this so 
of a, let's call it six-ish hours, let's pretend. Um, how far in, how many of those hours were you seasick, would you say, during the, during the event? So I would say like maybe after about like three or three and a half hours, I started to feel, I would just say weird. Yeah. That it was like, sometimes I've felt that way, even just running or something. If I take too much caffeine and, or like an energy drink or, you know, just adrenaline and nerves, like sometimes yeah. I have a bad race stomach from the combination of eating like the sugary, you know, energy kind of stuff that you typically use yep. for races. So I attributed it to that at first, and then it started to dawn on me what was going on uh, when I was uh, jumping back on the board every time, and I would start to feel it. I was like, oh, you're getting really sick. Oh. And I, on my, you know, my off times when I was on the boat, I had my bag, you know, with like sunscreen, water, you know, every food, every, you know, supply imaginable. And it was in a little, not like a full cabin, but like a little step down part of the boat. Yeah. And, uh, it had windows in it. And I remember looking at it and thinking like, you really need to put on sunscreen. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Maybe you should drink <laughs> some water. And I knew if I stuck my head in there and saw the water. Oh, yeah. Everyone who knows anything about being out in the water, if you're seasick, the last thing you should ever do is go like in somewhere enclosed. Definitely. Um, so I just sat there and um, I think I, I kept on the top of my bag. I had like a bunch of peppermints, which are kind of like a natural uh, remedy for seasickness. And I don't, I don't think I drank any water. Yep. I didn't put on any sunscreen. I probably had third degree burns when I finished. Oh, that's um, brutal. <laughs> but I, I was like, well, at least this way. I think I just dry heaved the entire time because I, ha I had nothing to, oh. to stick. So that is how I survived. Yeah, so I'd say from hour three till uh whenever we finish seven eight hours i don't remember exactly um yeah it, it was a long right. time <laughs> long time oh man well that, that's an, that's amazing that's a story i haven't heard actually i mean a lot of other people talk about various challenges they've had injuries and just mental challenges and boards you know all kinds of stuff but man i i'm just give you so much props for sticking with that because i know like I can't even like move. Like you're sitting, you're, you mentioned you're sitting on the boat, you look down, you're like, I need some sunscreen. It's right there. But not only do you not want to duck your head in that cabin because you know, you're going to get sick. But for me, like my body, like it doesn't even want to move. You know, it's like all energy gone. And so you sit there and just get like blasted with the sun or whatever. Cause you just don't even really want to move either. So, <laughs> but you got through it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate in that at that point, um, in my athletic career, so to speak, I, I had done some ultra marathons and longer stuff. And I am familiar with the place of, uh, being sick and just, you know, feeling that I think anyone knows, like, uh, especially if you've ever had like a really long night of drinking, that feeling where you're like, I wish I would throw up. Like I would, yeah. that. um, just but staying in that place for hours and hours i was familiar <laughs> with that though from doing the ultra runs where i was yeah. just nauseous for i don't know five six seven hours and just kind of you get to a place of acceptance and you know what yeah. you, you need to do and that it will end eventually but i also kind of recognize the signs of shutting down i i remember people were talking about overheating and i'm sitting there i'm shivering i'm cold because i'm not taking in any calories um, I just have the wind on me. I know I'm getting sunburned. I'm in and out of the water. So I, I kind of knew that I was like shutting down, but it almost, you get to a, a 
point of autopilot. You just yeah. get on board. Just do. This is the thing you know how to do. Just keep moving your arms. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I like that perspective, and that's a neat one. I, I'm kind of writing that down. The place of acceptance, which is really true, and 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 I I really think that yeah, some people I think are just naturally wired, um, for like genetically to just come to that kind of realization with challenging things like that. But I think for myself and many others, you get to that point from doing this stuff. And as you mentioned, doing this endurance running where, you know, it's, it's tiring and it's uncomfortable. You just accept it. You're like, look, just keep running or just keep paddling. You know, you're going to get there. Now it's not going to be in five minutes because you could look across the channel and, you know, you got some hours ahead of you, but you know, for a fact, there is an end at, you know, there's a light, this very gross tunnel, you know, and that place of acceptance kind of when you get to that point when you're like, Hey, you know what, this is happening. Let's just go and do it. You do actually kind of, you know, you, you calm down a little bit and you just accept your suffering and fate, but you, you can end up, you just kind of put your mind in a better spot, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also why it's so important to go out and do those training runs, training paddles where everything goes to crap, uh, where you do feel bad and you're like, I hate this. I don't want to yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, from like all those terrible experiences, when it, when it happens in a race, you know, you can get through it. Whereas if you've kept yourself in a comfortable place and you know, it hits the fan, so to speak, I think you're going to have a lot harder time. Um, because you don't know what's on the other side of that. Whereas when you've experienced it in practice, you know, that you'll pull through. Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge fan of that. I really am. And I liked that for two aspects. One is like, um, just like fishing and stuff. Got to, you know, when I had a boat for a long time, I would just take it out when the, it was just really crappy out. There's nothing to do. You can't fish. You shouldn't really even be out. But when you kind of, it's like that, the, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. And so you're, when you're going out and doing this stuff on your own terms and it turns gnarly, you can kind of ease yourself into it, feel it. And then you get developed that confidence. So when that intense moment hits you, you're able to deal with it. And then paddling as well, like going out and doing a paddle. There's nobody even on the beach. There's nobody even walking on the cliffs because it's so crappy out. But you go feel the water. You know you can get through it. You know how to deal with how, what you can deal with on your knees, when you need to jump back down, down you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm a huge fan. Now, um, you that was 2017, your first taste of the channel. And then last year, in 2018, you went back. And so did you do another relay or did you go solo last year? So I went uh, solo. The The whole reason that I uh, did the relay was just to kind of get my foot in the door. And also, I am. people told me uh, that you should do relay first. And I'm sure if I could have gone solo first, I would have. But they were absolutely right in saying that you need that learning experience. Not just for the, the obvious, the, the physical and the paddle, but to the extent of anyone who's done Molokai, and it's been a theme on many of the podcasts, knows it's it is an ordeal. The logistics are nightmarish at best. And the learning curve on that is so tough. And you need to go over there, make the connections, figure out the lay of the land and your logistics and getting a practice run at that on a relay team with someone who is an Aussie and had done it a bunch of times was just absolutely invaluable. Um, yeah. So then I felt a little more prepared to tackle uh, solo um, the following year, this last summer. Right on. 
So t- take us through that because 2018 was kind of a screwed up course from the perspective of many people, uh, early timers, but also people who've been doing it for 20 years, how challenged, describe how challenging those conditions were with the current doing some weird stuff. And so how did it go for you? I mean, your first solo, it's your longest paddle, I believe you've ever done to date. Um, and the conditions were not favorable. <laughs> so take us through that. So leading up to it, um, I had been over the summer, you know, I'd been putting in my hours and my long distance paddles. And I had um, one of our guards that's like just a lifelong distance paddler and has done a lot of crossings. He kind of wrote me a skeleton plan. And I would say, I think it was in June, I found a race uh, in New Jersey that like we were saying, there's not really too much outside of the 10, 12 mile range, but I found one that was 22 miles, 22, 23 miles. And it was around this, uh, the island of Atlantic City in Jersey. And uh, there was also another paddler I knew that was doing Molokai that was doing it. He said I could fly up and borrow a board. Um, so I was thinking, like, you know, kind of just using my, like, running knowledge. I was like, all right, well, 22 should be the perfect, like, test before a 32. Yeah. Don't go too much more than that. Um, and the timing seems good. Like, I'll recover, you know. So I fly up there, I, um, I get this board to borrow, and, um, which was like super amazing. They, they took, it was a bunch of Jersey guards that took great care of me. Um, board was a little bit, um, had seen better days, <laughs> but <laughs> I like the bottom of it was kind of maybe more like a plastic grocery bag in, in the way that it <laughs> caught the water. But I, you know, I, it didn't, I was like super stoked about this paddle and, uh, you know, I, jumped on like ready to go I think there was like a six hour time limit or something and the beginning of it you're in the backwaters um of Atlantic City so like just shallow water I mean there were times I had to get off and walk it was so shallow and right off the bat I kind of knew I think the board was was too big for me um I still probably would have been fairly last place-ish but uh I was struggling like I couldn't pull the weight of this board and I was like dropping very far behind and there were just a million twists and turns in the, in the backwater. And I was trying desperately to keep like just one stand up paddler in sight because yeah. I knew where I was going. So I'm looking at my watch the whole time and I'm starting to kind of freak out that I'm like, I'm not going to make the time cut off. And I flew all the way up here to do it and took the day off. And, uh, my job already hates me for taking a million days <laughs> off. Like this is all going through your head and you're like, Oh, and they're going to find out that you got pulled out of the race. Like, you know, just the absolute negative mindset that you do not want during a race. Like just having a <laughs> mental breakdown. And, uh, oh, yeah. I, uh, I knew that once I turned out into the ocean would be about like the halfway point. And I'm like, when I turn, I need a ripping current. Like I need to get out there. And as I'm coming out the inlet, I look, it is flat. Oh, and God. yes, there is a current and it's in our favor. But there is not a run to be had. And, like, there is a big difference between flat water, 20-something miles, and getting pushed. And I worked every 22, 23 miles. I didn't get a single bit of help. Oh, man. I'm looking at my watch the whole time, and I know that if I take a sip of water or Gatorade or a goo or adjust myself, I'm not going to make the time cutoff. I'm, like, down to, like, you can't lose so I'm calling ass as best as I can and um I get to maybe like mile like 19 or 20 is like the iconic steel pier like the amusement park at the end of the boardwalk 
And they had told us before, like, oh, if there's any weather, you know, lightning, whatever, we're going to pull you wherever you are. So I think that I hear the roller coaster. And what I didn't realize is that it's thunder. And I see this support boat come. And I'm thinking already, I'm like, all right, if they pull me at mile 19, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. So I'm (laughs) fully prepared for this battle. And I know, like, and they already, you know, they warn you, like, you're going to get banned if you fight us. And I'm thinking, like, I never want to do this again. I don't care. Ban me. (laughs) So they come up on me and they tell me, like, listen, we have some weather coming in, uh, but we think you're going to make it. And I'm literally the last person that they let through. Yeah, Uh, wow. So I, and that race really, it was supposed to be a confidence builder for Molokai. It killed me. I got out on the dock. Like, normally I finish distance stuff and I'm like, I'm okay. Like it's, um, you know, a little worse for the wear, but I couldn't get out like on my own. I couldn't get my board. I think I laid on the dock on my back and cried. And I said oh. that I'm not going to Molokai anymore. I'm pulling oh, out. Of the place. Like everyone knows there's like, Oh, now you can do it. I'm like, if this is 22 miles, how on earth am I going to paddle 10 more than that? Like, there's no way. Right. There's no way. But I kind of found out later, you know, like there's a big difference between, flat stagnant water and catching massive swells for 32 miles so yeah yeah you know it's stuff like that it's it's funny because the flat water yeah it's a slog like you like you said you're just paddling you're dragging your ass through the water start to finish there's no bump there's no push it's just you it's basically running at that point really you're just there's no help right and and that can get in your head. Now, if you're expecting nothing but that, and you're, you've set your expectations before the event or even during, and you come, again, you come to peace with that, I'm, it's all me, it's all muscle, that's different than hoping there's bump or expecting bump or needing bump, you know? And then, because it, it's interesting, I've noticed, like, the mental aspect, the mental game of, like, a mall car, or even a downwind, or, like, Carolina Cup's a good example, where you have some push, you might have a little headwind you have some flat water when you it actually kind of helps keep your spirits up when you have the the conditions give you a little push you know and it's it's funny i've noticed my own self go uh like just be in a kind of a weird bad spot mentally paddling long distance and all of a sudden like whoa i just got a little bump and then you just get happy even if it's a little bump and then maybe another one a couple minutes later it just really helps your mental game so i get what you're saying 22 miles of just slogging is is freaking challenging yeah absolutely so i was um i was not very confident after that um going into molokai but i you know i called all my all my people and you know got all the pep talks that i needed to get and uh i just kind of was like you know i've done everything that i can do and we don't have the same water here we don't have great you know downwind water typically um we don't have we just don't have that big ocean feel because yep. nothing off of Florida is really that deep. So you don't mm-hmm. get massive swells. So I knew I had paddled in just a lot of crap conditions and that was what my confidence was going to have to come from. Um, so going into Molokai, I had uh, an ocean rescue friend set up a boat for me and I was pretty happy about that because I know in the relay experience the year prior, we probably went through like, I don't even know, like four or five boat captains, like the week of, yeah, uh, which is typical when you start like talking to people with Molokai, like that's that's part of it. And I, I knew to expect it this time. Um, and of course, when I got there, as soon as I landed, I had a voicemail like, hey, your boat fell through. So I'm like, OK, well, that's oh, not. I'll have a week to deal with this. Uh, whereas like last year, it was like the 
the day before our boat still wasn't over there and we're like, oh, I wonder if he's going to show up, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, which is classic Molokai. Now that I, I know that's how that goes. So I, I kind of got another last minute boat person, but I had lost my swimmer. So I kind of put out uh, a bolo on the East coast. If anyone knew anyone over there or um, had any connections. And then I talked to my boat guy and I just was like, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll throw some money at somebody if they want to just, you know, all they got to do is, you know, jump in, switch out water bottles, you know, bring a pair of fins. But I would just kind of banking on the fact that, I mean, this was a Hawaiian and they know that that water. And I said he found someone for me. So, um, you know, I'm pretty like low maintenance with like as far as like nutrition stuff goes. Um, I was actually more concerned about being seasick. Like I brought a ton of meds and just more heavy duty stuff. Um, so I, that was like my main concern. I'm like, I could really care less what you put in my water bottles or yeah. anything like that. Um, I'm like pretty versatile with that stuff. Uh, so I was more concerned with that. And then, um, going over this time, I went like a day earlier since I was doing solo, I kind of figured I needed an extra day to kind of decompress. Um, I think everyone who does that race will tell you like you really like, by the time you get to it, you're just so (laughs) spent on all the logistics and stuff. Um, So kind of right off the bat, I knew that things were not going well with like my boat captain and I like, didn't really have um, good communication. And um, long story short, like the morning of the race, I'm kind of waiting for him to show up so I can paddle out my gear, not not really on time. Um, and I paddle out my stuff. You know, this is probably like T minus 15 minutes to start, 20 minutes. Yeah. He says to me, hey, listen, um, it's really rough. We're not going to put a swimmer in the water for you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, you know, you're on a rock in the middle of the Pacific. You're not fine. You're not going to run up there and go grab a friend. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's right. It's done. And I just was like, I looked at him. I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do? And he's like, Oh, we'll just throw the water bottles to you. But I'm like recalling, like I have been in this channel once before and I'm like, yeah, it's not really like, you know, there's 12 foot swells. Like, uh, if I miss that water bottle, I'm not paddling back for it. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> and also, you don't you don't want to be anywhere near that boat, like, in that, those kind of seas. Like, you're going to wreck your board or the boat or both, you know. Yeah. I just right off the bat, I was like, well, great, okay. Uh, I also had had, to back up a little bit, um, so on my flight over from Oahu to Molokai, I had like a little bag of all my electronics, like my Garmin charger, um, my iPod, uh, phone charger, a bunch of stuff like that. And I guess it fell out. I'm not sure on which end of Oahu or Molokai. I tried calling all the airports and stuff, but I had a phone charge and I'm trying to call my mom back on Oahu and get her to see if she can get stuff and get it to someone who still has a flight over, like, uh, and I just kind of, that was another point of acceptance, I'm like, okay, I know you banked on having your iPod, but you're now going to be stuck with your own, I think that was probably one of the most devastating blows, Uh, I cared uh, less if I had water the whole way, I just wanted my iPod. Oh, 100%, I had a similar thing when I did it years ago, was my iPod blew, like, broke, and I couldn't get to charge on Oahu, and I'm like, are you kidding me, like, I'm 
music to just get me through these things. And I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, enjoy the sound of paddling. And like, oh, it was, it's so brutal when you're used to music. And you don't have it. Oh, yeah. So that was like probably the more devastating factor. So like right off the bat, I knew I had a bunch of like strikes against me. Um, mentally. Oh, again, I was just like, OK, like you've had this. You I just started drawing back on all the, the crap times and races. I'm like, you've done an Ironman and you couldn't have your iPod, so you'll be fine. Um, you know, and then, uh, so then when the, the boat says they're not going to put a swimmer in, I'm like, all right, great. Uh, so I went back <laughs> on land before the start and I duct tape everything that I thought I might need it in case I was like completely alone. <laughs> um, and yeah, so right, right off the bat, it was not going well. Um, went out with like, um, one of the other female paddlers that I usually compete with and try to kind of follow her and follow the line and just right away I was just getting frustrated like I was getting zero feedback on like my navigation which was like the main thing for me in having a boat like I really don't need a lot in terms of like like I said like the nutrition and stuff I I just needed that line and I just yeah. wasn't getting it and that's the big problem with not having a swimmer um you're not getting that feedback and anyone who's done that race for knows that small mistakes when you're 30 miles out accumulate oh, yeah. in a very big way. Yeah. So long, very miserable story short, I was way, way <laughs> off track, um, overshot, had to paddle back against it. Um, uh, where so did was, you, did, were you angling more towards like Hanama Bay that side or more towards like, you know, uh, Diamond Head that way? Uh, Hanamu Bay. I was yeah. like overshot almost yeah. around to the next corner. Like, so they wanted to, I think they wanted to pull me out, um, probably when I was like, I don't know, I want to say like maybe like six miles off or something like that, somewhere between four and six, I kept seeing the boat circling like nearby and I knew, I knew they were going to come over and say something. And I was like fully prepared. I'm like, you can take this board. I'm going to swim in. I can see land. I'm going to paddle until it's dark. I don't yeah. care. Um, cause I yeah. was just so irritated at that point that I had received like no guidance from oh, my boat. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was not a good situation. I mean, I, there were definitely points where I'm, I'm starting to kind of think like, okay, the tracker is not on me. It's on my boat. So if they completely lose me, you know what I mean? Like no one can yeah. find you, you know? And I just, <laughs> I was mad at myself for a lot of reasons too, in not taking responsibility for kind of like, you know, having like my own GPS or like knowing the line better. But again, that's like, that's what you pay for a boat for. Right, right, um, right. And you know, you're, if you're not from there and you haven't done the race a bunch of times, like maybe yeah. now that I've done it twice, I might start, start to recognize some of the landmarks, but being a novice still, like you really don't yeah, you have, have no idea. Um, so I was just frustrated. And when the, when the support boat came up on me and like suggested that I perhaps take a tow in, um, I, which I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I think the thing is they kind of uh, cut me some slack in that when they came up on me, I think they expected to find someone with like their head down on the board, just kind right. of done. And I was fighting, I was fighting with everything I had against the current at this point because they had let me overshoot the right. line. Yeah. Um, so I just had one arm doing a lot of the work. Oh. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was frustrating, but at the same time, I was so relieved to get in the bay and like have land that close that I don't think the full gravity of how badly it was botched really sank in. Wow. Um, 
the nightmare kind of like continued after that with like the boat captain and like the getting the board back and so it was pretty much like a nightmare scenario of like can this go any worse and then yes it can um so it, i definitely am still not even fully recovered from like just mentally what that does <laughs> having such a botched race um yeah it, it was a learning experience on so many levels wow i'm like uh sick to my stomach hearing that because <laughs> i feel for you so bad i mean just if everything with the boat your ipod everything went well just the conditions of that race the ocean itself is enough to like break people down but you started like from from freaking the start you had a challenge no music and your boat guys flaky and then no swimmer and then and then the conditions on top which were insane and and make taking that line and being too far i don't know if that what is that east i don't even know but towards Sonoma bay that side and all of a sudden especially with the tracker on gps and you're watching your speed i know you're like oh i'm doing whatever let's say five knots or something and all of a sudden you're like I'm doing two <laughs> what, you know, cause that current and everything. And then, I mean, then you're suffering through that. And then, yeah, at the end you're like, okay, now I gotta get my board somewhere and I gotta pay the boat guy and blah, blah, blah. Like that's, well, you got through it and you're better off and you're stronger because of it. Let me ask you two questions. One is, will you go do it again? Do you think? Oh, so that's been like the question of the year. <laughs> Starting from right after <laughs> I had a lot of people rally around me and uh, kind of tell me that basically a lot of the stuff that went down with the boat was not right. Um, it, I'm kind of cutting out a lot of the yep. political aspects of it. Um, it was it was a nightmare that followed me all the way home, basically, um, just financially and everything. Um, I I would like to do it again, and I definitely I wanted. I was so upset that honestly, I would have paddled it the next day. I would have paddled it in the reverse direction because I just knew I had put in too much time for it to have gone like that. And I'll be the first one to say I, I wasn't going to podium. I wasn't going to win that race, but it shouldn't have happened the way that it did, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I shouldn't have yep. been out there in the water that long. I shouldn't have ended up where I did. Yep. Um, it was just not, not good on so many levels. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to, I think I'm, it might be challenging to pull off this summer. I think I'm still, I know, uh, it, the opening's probably, the registration's probably coming up soon. And, um, I'm kind of, I keep trying to push it out of my mind because I don't want to make that choice, but I definitely, I want to go back and get it right. Uh, yeah. be at peace until I do. I just don't know if the right time is now. Yep. Um, so yeah, I don't, it's up in the air, but I, I would like to get it right. Yeah. And no, I, yeah, you deserve redemption. I can definitely sense that. And you just you deserve it, you know, because um, as a competitor who, who, you know, you, you know, that was a challenge you willingly took and you know that you, you weren't allowed to do it properly, you know, and, and that's just part of that whole challenge of that freaking race is there's so many weird variables and a lot of them just fell through. And so a uh, redemption, I think, is in your future for that. Now, the second question I had is, is now let's fast forward to just a few months from now where we're talking about 32 miles. Now you're, you're going to do something that's even further. It's 50, right? It's from Bahamas, Bimini back to Florida. And that's the crossing so for actually, here. So now uh, let's talk about, sorry. Sorry. So yeah, it's actually, it's about 80 miles, but it's one, oh, one direction. Got um, it. 80. Why do I have 50? Wow. Yeah. That's even longer than I thought. Jeez. All right. So 
So let's talk about that. Why are you doing it? Um, what's it for? Because it's for a great cause. Um, and I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about that as well. And then talk about what you're planning to do, who you're going to do it with, and, uh, and, uh, and everything. So, yeah, this is exciting. Um, it is a lot further than anything I've done, but it is a, a relay myself and another female prone paddler. So it's about 80 miles, give or take, uh, I guess, on your line that we're crossing from Bimini, and we will be landing in about Lake Worth, Florida, um, which is a little above like Palm Beach area. And it's part of Crossing for a Cure, which supports the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So I think at actually like going back to what you asked about doing Molokai again, I just think this is a good opportunity to like get out of my own head and my own Mm -hmm. self, do this for someone else um, that can't do it for themselves. Yeah, it's a really cool foundation. They started this crossing, I want to say, three years ago, and it was actually really uh, memorable to me. The first group that did it was kind of like just a handful of stand-up paddlers that, you know, with one boat that just made it across on their own. You know, it wasn't a big race like hoopla like that you would have for Molokai. And I remember they actually landed in Dania Beach when I was working on the clock, and I could see them coming over the horizon. Oh, Um, cool. I knew a lot. So that was just super special to me. And I knew, you know, going back that this was before I even did Molokai, I knew this was something that I wanted to be a part of. So it's taken me a few years to get it together. Um, I don't think uh, I was ready after, especially after Molokai, I didn't really want to tackle 80 miles on my own. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There are solo paddlers that are doing it, though. Um, But I'm doing it with another uh, female guard from that works uh the other beach that i work in fort lauderdale gina seegers she is an amazing prone paddler as well and she has dabbled in the stand-up world she's kind of a badass in both whichever she chooses Um, so we're going to be working together for that so this foundation they've already raised uh close to half a million dollars in their first few years so right now they have 150 plus participants and each uh participant has a minimum fundraise requirement of $1,500 and many people are raising more than that. So the amount of money and good that's generated for this cause is pretty unbelievable. Um, Uh, It's a great group. uh, And also what's kind of exciting is they've added um, these competitive categories. You can kind of do it recreationally as a crossing or uh, Gina and myself will be in the competitive category and they have a pretty cool prize purse um, guaranteed at least 30 K but up to and above uh, $100,000 in the different divisions, depending wow. on who does what. So we're going to be uh, paddling prone stock. Um, but it's just like an amazing cause because it, there's none of this where it kind of goes to CEOs and stuff. 100% of this is going to awareness, education, and just helping people that are directly impacted by cystic fibrosis. And if you look on the website, it's... Um, crossingforacure.com. Travis, the guy that started it, his daughter is affected by this condition. And so it's something, and he's a stand-up paddler. It's something that's very personal to him. So this mm-hmm. is just, um, it's not like a faceless corporation. It's people that we all know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love this one. I mean, I love all, all these things that benefit others. But cystic fibrosis is one of those, um, 
those conditions where being in the salt water in the ocean is very, very soothing for the people who have it. And there's the Maliola Foundation that they basically take kids around. I think they even come out to your area for days on surfing and everything. And the kids with cystic fibrosis are just, you know, a lot of them are bedridden or they don't get to do this stuff on their own, but then they get to get out. And then the feel of the ocean um, is so super soothing for them, you know? And so you guys are basically putting a lot of time and effort on the water in and a big challenge to raise funds for this, for, for research, for the whole thing. Now with 80 miles and the two of you, what do you, what's the format you guys are thinking of in terms of uh, the relay part? So I'm thinking we're probably going to do it uh, somewhat similar to Molokai, probably keep uh, shorter, faster clips, maybe around like 30 minutes. But I also think for both of us, this is uncharted territory. So we're really going to have to see, one, what the conditions are, and two, how we feel. Um, you know, if, if one of us is going down for a while and needs more time, then we're going to have to adjust. Mm-hmm. And um, I also, you know, this is just longer distance and time-wise than anything we've done before. Like, I believe in the past they've started at midnight, so we're going to be paddling in the dark, which is something I haven't done before. Oh, and, cool. Um, you know, we're not going to know how, how that length of time affects us really until until uh it hits us and then we're going to have to adjust accordingly but i know that our training is on point and that we're both just mentally strong and that you know we can uh we can adjust what whatever we need to do format wise yeah awesome um and what do you expect i mean condition wise i mean if you had to call it because we're and i was looking at it on a map before we chatted today is you know bimini the bahamas you're basically running kind of northwest-ish and so and the gulf stream runs kind of south to north and so really you're you're crossing the gulf stream from the bahamas to florida um but you're going to going through and then up into the gulf stream which in theory is kind of a racing current and maybe in there's days when it's stronger and weaker than others so it feels like you'll be getting some help you know versus your 22 mile sort of flat water slog that you did last year but what do you expect yourself if you had to call it from the conditions you know when you guys are out there so last year when they did it, um, I had friends, um, other lifeguards, they actually were on a two-person uh, row team, like on a dory. Um, they had two boats and four women, and they had a, just a very flat, hot, uh, crystal clear, beautiful day. Um, <laughs> not really, they described it like, you know, not really getting help so much, but like you said, you're using that golf stream and it really moves you. Um, I mean, obviously, it's different being in a rowboat versus prone paddling it, um, but it, it really it could go. It's June, so it could go anyway, but typically that time of year, we tend to have flat, hot conditions, but I think also you have to recognize if it's spanning, you know, 15, 16, 18 hours, there's a great chance that you can get a thunderstorm, you can get a squall, you can get some, you know, windy patches, so you really have to be ready for whatever it throws at you. I think probably your number one factor you're going to be looking at is the heat, um, which is kind of my specialty. I probably do a lot better with that than I do being in cold conditions or cold water. Um, But then also you have to factor in, like I said, like when I had done Molokai before, you know, it can be hot out. And once your body shuts down, then you're cold. So you have to be ready for all of it, really. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, like you said, you got to be ready for everything. And the neat part of that, too, I mean, it just sounds epic. When I first heard about it, I was like, wow, how can I get out there? Because it just sounds, A, the, just what you do it for, you know, benefiting cystic fibrosis and the whole thing is just, I just love that. Um, but then, too, is, you know, the 
format, the course at all looks so neat. And what I, I'm excited for you to experience is paddling at night. And a couple of times, some of the folks I've had on, like we do a 24 hour paddle for cancer fundraiser and you get to paddle at night because you don't paddle at night. Like when do you ever really go in the ocean at night, you really don't unless you're like diving or trying to catch lobster or something, but paddling at night, you don't really do. And so it's just such a deep, surreal experience. I'm excited for you guys to get to do that as well. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the part that I'm uh, most like excited about, just to have that kind of add that to my paddling resume, just to do something different. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a big part of that is we're raising funds for this group. Um, and so you guys are looking to raise funds now. So of the $1,500 uh, that you're looking to raise, and I know you'd love to go way beyond, where are you guys at today with that? So we actually just started, so we're probably only a couple hundred dollars in. Uh, I cool. just got the link up and running. So it's on my Instagram and Facebook and on my partners as well. Um, and our team name is the Atlantic Angels. Oh, I like um, it. Yeah, so um, we're, we're hoping to exceed that by a lot. So we're looking at doing some fundraiser um, events at some uh, – local restaurants and stuff like that and uh possibly even throw in some little paddle races just to get people out um but yeah we would definitely like to exceed our um our requirement just to give it some more so we have a great paddling community here yeah that's great and the more the more benefit the more you raise the more goes to these children and others that have cystic fibrosis you know so what we'll do is we'll put and the show notes, the podcast, and the website, and everything will put um, links to all this stuff and to your fundraising page. And would love folks listening now who hear this in the next, you know, between now and June, really, um, to, you know, if you feel like throwing a couple bucks in, that would be really, really, really awesome. Yeah, we would much appreciate it. And um, I know there's always so many different races going on and so many causes. So I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed, mm -hmm. kind of step back from it. But I've even found myself with having multiple lifeguards in the same beach doing it. Like even when I have like four or five bucks left over from whatever I, you know, you throw yeah. it in the pot and yeah. everybody does that. It really adds up. So no amount is too small uh, to help out. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll do that for sure. So then Alice, I mean, you got this big giant thing ahead of you. I mean, you're probably thinking a lot about it, training and training with your partner and just getting prepped with the logistics and everything. I mean, Beyond that, I mean, what else has happened in 2019 or even beyond any other big kind of plans or big, I know Molokai is, is a potential for the future, um, but anything else, any other big challenges that you're, uh, you're putting forth for yourself? Uh, I just found out this week that I got into the New York Marathon in November. So I'm so oh, excited. wow. Congratulations. Uh, so, thank you. Yeah. So I, um, I think that'll be perfect timing because as soon as the paddle wraps up, I'm sure I'm going to want to dry out so to speak and take a break and do something else <laughs> um but right now we're actually like just gearing up our season of we have the series races going on right now like we're heavy in the surf ski month and then we have run swims and then like before you know it in the spring we have a tournament season that that's pretty uh hectic but is by far my favorite time of year uh, i love the tournaments so that kind of just keeps me busy and fills my schedule right up until um we have regionals which will be right around um, regionals and nationals will be, you know, right after um, this crossing. And then um, I have the difficult decision of uh, if I do regionals and if I fly right out the night of and fly over to do Molokai or what I'm going to do. Oh, 
it's all looming. Um, I haven't quite made the call on that, but one yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Get through this 80 mile paddle first and then, uh, take the next giant event. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll reassess when I get yeah, there. Yeah. Right on. Well, I appreciate hearing all this and you sharing your stories and, um, I, you know, I've heard some pretty gnarly Molokai stories, different gnarly, but still gnarly. But I think yours might have just become number one. I got to think about that a little bit. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a congratulations for you or what, but I really give you a lot of props and admire you for sticking through that and even considering going back. Um, so, uh, and then thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate hearing all this. Yeah, it was, it was great to be on. I, I love uh, throwing in some of the stories. And like I said, I love listening to the podcast and hearing other people's uh, war stories, so to speak, and just all the different yeah. things that you're doing out there on the water. Cool. Awesome. Well, Alice, good luck with um, the Crossing for a Cure coming up and maybe even get you back on a later, little later this year. I'd love to kind of hear about that. Um, and then who, who knows, maybe you've also decided to do Molokai. I'd love to hear about that as well. So we'll stay in touch. And then uh, best of luck with everything. We'll put all these links on the show notes and on the website um, to help drive some funds for the fundraising for the Crossing for a Cure. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the, uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.